You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Land and Legacy Podcast. This is your host, Adam Keith. Matt Dye also joining me. You know, Matt, a couple podcasts ago, we did a complete, I guess, dissection of a 40-acre property. We had a lot of great feedback. A lot of people really enjoyed it. Um, so we're doing that again. We were just recently consulting on a property in central Missouri in a undisclosed location, you might say, because... Um, we don't want people to know exactly where this property's at because it's going to be that awesome. Dynamite! And there's a lot of great things about this property. It's 395 acres. You know, that's kind of a, a mid-range. It seems like there's a lot of people, you, you might hunt some public ground or smaller acres, less than a, less than 100 acres. And then there's this two to 400 range that a lot of guys are hunting on. And, you know, that's a, this property, when we dive in and start talking about it. It's it's going to be really, really exciting to see what happens for this guy in the next couple of years as he starts to implement the plan and all the great things that are going to come from that. And there's a lot of things we did on this property that I think a lot of people might question when you just look at the map and you say, well, why didn't you plant that entire field? Or why didn't you, why didn't you even drive the road through that? Like, and we really, this is a, it's a unique shape. And I think whenever you look at it, you're going to say, wow, that's really cool. And then when you start trying to think about access and hunting, you can really almost cause yourself to go cross-eyed because it's, it's a lot to comprehend and think about how to really strategically place food plots, roads, sanctuaries, everything like that. So, Matt, I'll let you give a little bit more detail on that property. Yeah, well, this, is this again, is, like Adam said, just a... a incredible property one for its for its features and then what's already existing there um kind of in the the natural seed bed and um unlike a lot of properties we're on it's expressing a lot of that potential and uh it was just very clear as we're driving around just what it can produce and what it can do um but if you're listening we do encourage you to go to our facebook page it is currently july 7th and we'll have a post on there today with this map so you can orient yourself as we're talking about it. we've got different points one through ten labeled on the map so we can talk about point number one and two and what the special features are and why it's laid out in the way that it is um it'll just kind of give you a better understanding of why we do what we do and uh, how that's going to improve the hunting on this place and um, there's a, again a lot of great features, a lot of a lot of um, important aspects to really consider on this property based on its shape. And for that reason, it's important to have that visual in front of you. So if you've got the access, go ahead and check out uh, the Facebook page and look for the Prairie property photos. We'll have a blank property photo, and then we'll have this photo as well. Kind of see you can see start to finish and um, get the get the idea of of kind of going into a property blind. Again, you're not you're not boots on the ground like we had the advantage of, but you'll at least get to see the aerial photo, where we started at, and then how that's going to transition and the features as we're talking about it um, while we're enhancing some and leaving others as is because they're already in great condition. Um, so it's 
it's an incredible property. I think Adam, as as we were driving around, um, we were like, you know, this is this is probably I the could, most diverse property we are on. I completely period. nerded out on that property. He was pointing out this UTV, this plant here, that plant here, this blah blah blah. It's like Adam. I, I think I had to calm him down. Uh, we had some cold water had to douse him just because he was so pumped up about just again the diversity on this place. Um, it was it was really really incredible and. and I wasn't expecting it. We're we're in cattle country, um, <laughs> cattle country, and and I hate to say it, but sometimes you know, this property was a was a hunting property for I don't know how many years prior, and you kind of expect the worst sometimes when you go to those. You kind of expect plot up food plots, turned over soil, a lot of fescue remaining. Yeah, and I <clears throat> this property was almost like. You can tell based on previous pictures that it was a lot of uh, bush hogging or haying going on. And so we kind of expected a lot of just fescue pastures that we were going to convert to food plots and try and get back to native species, old field, but old field management. But um, this one had incredible amounts of native wildflowers and native grasses throughout the property and all the open fields. So. That's what was so exciting to me. Things you don't see very often. Um, we, there was some Illinois bundle flower, which we haven't seen. I don't know property if we've seen yet. it at all yet. Yeah. And there was a lot of butterfly milkweed, common milkweed, which are great pollinator uh, species that are rather expensive if you try and go buy the seed. Cup plant. Uh, cup plant on it. There was a bunch of compass, compass plant. Yeah. Um, there was all kinds of purple prairie clover and cone flowers. Um, oh man, I could go on and on about rattlesnake master, rattlesnake master, sensitive briar, uh, all kinds of, <laughs> all kinds of beautiful wildflowers blooming on this place. So and it was the perfect time to visit it too, because a lot mm-hmm. of things were in bloom. The, we'll talk about some of these, these big bottoms and, and, um, they were just in full bloom and, and, um, it was, it was really pretty. It was, it was really it cool. It was a beautiful property. Um, I think... You know, I think there's a lot of different points. We have 10 points to cover on this property, things that um, will really, I guess, drastically improve the huntability and the overall habitat of this place. Uh, I think when you when you look at this place, if the plan is implemented, one thing to remember is this is a hunting property, but now it's also going to be a wildlife uh how what am what's Are you thinking word? island here? No, maybe island. It's just a wildlife mecca. It's going to be. It's not only great for hunting, but it's going to provide great habitat for not only the deer, turkey, but now there's going to be a lot. Hopefully, there's going to be a lot more quail, uh, the pollinators, the honeybees, the butterflies. Um, the whole habitat in this place is dynamite for wildlife. Yeah, it, it, it honestly, I. I said mm-hmm. island because as as we look around, mm-hmm. you'll be able to see on on portions of the map here. It's cattle country, and there's a lot of um, woodlots and stuff that have been logged or clear-cut in years past. And this property with the timber management, with the old field, um, with keeping overall conservation in mind, it will be its own kind of island. Hopefully, you know that attraction um, will, will allow neighbors to kind of jump on board and maybe do some of the same practices and just improve the overall, overall area. Um, and some might say, well, you know, I want hunting the best hunting on my property. Well... You know, the, I I see your point. 
Um, but I encourage you to think about the overall grand scheme of things. So, you know, you might have other deer that, that are, you know, residing in the summertime on another portion's property who, another person's property who, who are, um, eventually come onto yours during the fall. They're going to make that transition. And if they're improving property, and then those deer are going to express better potential. So overall, everyone is going to benefit. The wildlife are going to benefit. And, uh, you know, it, it's not just your property. I think, you know, broadening horizons and looking at QDMM cooperatives uh, is is a huge benefit, especially in areas that there is little management done. And the habitat is, is typically pretty poor for wildlife. So expanding outside of your property boundaries and talking with neighbors, getting them on board, it has a huge impact and a huge potential for not only your property, their property, but just the local wildlife in general. Remember, wildlife don't know, they don't know boundaries. So they're going to cross yours and, and, you know, hopefully you're going to do management that entices them, encourages them to stay on your property, but they're going to move outside your property boundaries, especially on a property of this size. Even though it's 400 acres, they're still going to move um, especially the way it lays, it's pretty long and narrow, but they're gonna move outside the boundaries. So improving overall habitat is definitely a good thing. And one other point on this one is how many times, and this is something we all should consider is ways to get our, our wife or our kids involved. And with the amount of, I guess, native species that are there, this is a great place that, I mean, we were driving around and enjoying the heck out of it, seeing all the wildflowers mm-hmm. and all the blooms. That's just a great I mean, that'll be a great property to take his wife out and zip around the property on the oh, roads yeah. and look it all over. But And you have some incredible views, actually, on this property, too. It, you got some, some power line right-of-ways or just long stretches of, of uh, ridgetops that you can see a long ways. It's just going to be a really enjoyable property from not only a hunting aspect, but um, just overall enjoyment with family and friends. And hopefully he's able to introduce others to the outdoors on this place. Well, what do you say? Let's, Let's go. In. Let's, Let's go. go. Let's go to well, number one. I finally got my one. computer up. We've been kind of talking and delaying because I couldn't get my computer to work. <laughs> my other computer, the other one's set up for the podcast. But so, Matt, go ahead and take us off on number one. Well, number one, it, you, you see it right there on the northwest corner of the property, and that dotted line is a future road. And, and as as we approach every property, we really want to take a look at the the road system that's already in place, and then as we lay it out the property as we're driving around and talking about how deer are going to be moving through the property and features we're going to enhance. You know, we've got to keep in mind the, the, the access points on this property and what we can, uh, where we can go without interfering deer um, as they're making their normal transitions throughout the property. And how, how can we access it without bumping, alerting the deer as we try and hunt successfully? And that's where this number one really comes in, in mind. If you go to the power line right of way or, or just, just to the west of that, you see that yellow line? That's the access as of right now into the property. And as you can see, those two yellow lines that makes a Y going down to the south, you immediately get into either open ground, open views, um, and quickly transition into pretty sensitive areas. Um, so we have to think about that as we're, as we're accessing the property. And what if we were to have this gentleman clear a clear a road along the western boundary and, and actually on google earth it shows there's already i think it's just a fence line it, but there's a fence line i it, believe it, it's it doesn't dozed. even have to be a, a road for a truck to drive down mm-hmm. just a road for a four-wheeler or a utv to go down 
Yeah, absolutely. But having that access will allow you to get to um, basically where it says number three, that field and beyond without alerting um, the, the really the central, the heart of the property where a lot of activity is going to come around at. And by just by just by doing that, the whole southern portion of the farm is a, is a lot more accessible and not overlooking your your access to your property is key. Um, so hopefully as you're kind of imagining how you would access and get to the, the southern zone and central zones of this property, you realize that really that, that is my best option um, is, is getting out on that western boundary and coming down that, um, that line. You know, as we're talking about the property, you'll see that there's a lot of openings, but not everyone is planted. And that's a, that's a huge point to this, this property um, is taking some of the best soils and some of the, the most secure areas um, and, and planting those ones while allowing others to do their, their natural thing. So keeping that in mind, hopefully it's a lot more clear why a Western access um, on this specific property is really key. Um, and then you'll, you'll see a couple other well, before as we're talking access, understand that if you look in the northeast portion of this property, that's where the house is. So that's where they're going to be leaving out of in the morning and the early afternoons to go hunt the property. So when you leave from there, there's really there's three ways to get into this property. You can leave right from the house and go south and go through the pinch of the property and down into the into the heart of it, or you can leave out and go along the highway and enter kind of just just east of the number one on that map. And if you enter right there, then you can turn right and take the new road or go south and take the other couple of roads as they wide down along the power line. So that's kind of the reasoning for all these roads is is so you have options depending on the wind. Yeah, and I think, you know, I didn't mention the wind, but that is a, a huge thing to consider. You have those options um, to be able to access the, those stands that, you know, I've got a west wind, I've got to go here. Um, you can do that with multiple road systems. Or or uh, that new road is kind of created for a south wind or an mm-hmm. east wind or a southeast wind. Yep. Um, or even a northeast wind. Uh, judging, if you can see through the the shading, you can see that there is a that there's a house and a another pasture with a big pond. So there's not really going to be a lot of great habitat on the neighboring property to the west. So not really as concerned about letting our scent drift over that property correct correct we're hoping that we've done the done the work the proper work to hold the deer on on your property and let them move safely on yours um but you can also see if you go over to the eastern side of the property there's a couple roads that we've actually extended encouraged him to either connect um multiple road systems one's to a food plot there in the center portion of the property that goes right up the power line and the other one is right on the eastern side that road right there is going to be very vital to his um hunting success as well extending that road connecting the one from that's running north and south um to right there at the base of the power line that one uh, will allow you to also avoid the center portion of the property where that's getting to a stand um, in the morning or, or leaving in the evenings. You can avoid quite a bit of activity um, that would be happening there in the center. So just just by connecting that road system, you're going to do yourself and um, your hunting strategy a huge favor by taking the initiative and, and creating these new roads on the property or just connecting them, uh, making an easier path of travel in and out of your stands. Yeah, so um, we'll talk about access throughout this these ten points because each each area has a reason for the road being there, and and I think will help the huntability of the property. 
There's a couple of them coming up. I think number seven I can already see is one that we'll talk about the road system and how, how that lays out and how we will hunt it given the way the road is laid out. But let's go ahead and jump down to number two. So road access, uh, before I do that, road access is a huge part of making any property more hunt- huntable um, and increasing your chances of success. Um, that that goes with a 40-acre property all the way up to a 5,000-acre oh, property. You need yeah. a good road system. And not just a road system where you have one road that goes all the way through the center, but a road system, preferably, if you're if you're going to be using prescribed fire, it runs all around the outside edge. That way you can have a, a good fire break around the perimeter of your property. So a, a good road system is key to a great property. But number two, um, given this property is 395 acres, a lot of it, I think a majority of it, is yeah. timbered. Oh, yeah. And so to really squeeze out the potential, if you will, of this property, we really need to talk about some timber stand improvement, some timber management. And we've shaded these areas in red um, as sanctuaries, but those are kind of areas that um, if we could find a, the landowner could find a timber crew that did that knew what they were doing, did some selective harvest, some uneven aged um, timbering, that would be an area that uh, those red areas would be areas that we would start trying to harvest some logs, make a little income for the landowner, open up that canopy, get some early succession, some herbaceous plants in there for the deer to provide forage as well as cover. But number two is really kind of highlighting these clear cuts. Um, it's a little darker shaded red, um, just northwest of the number two. You can see those that same little coloring throughout the property. Those are kind of in the heart of these sanctuaries, and those are what we call clear cuts. And that's just a one to two acre area where we just pretty much cut out the trees that aren't any value. Now we set them up on the map in those areas, but we would base it on once we really got in there and looked at the exact trees and say, okay, these trees, let's tweak it a little bit. This is just a bunch of blackjacks on this on this area. Let's go ahead and just cut these rather than cut a bunch of 200-year-old white oaks. Um, but those can be tweaked. But we need those on the interior of those sanctuaries because we're going to increase the bedding on those. Um, we're, we're increasing the bedding in those areas. And not only the bedding, uh, but we're providing more forage with the early secession um, growth that's going to take back over that area. So those areas, we would cut the trees, treat the stump, and send a prescribed fire through it at some point and, and watch nature take its course. And <laughs> that would be, by doing that, we're pretty much saying, okay, we want the deer bedding right here. And that's where they're going to spend a majority of their time. And we set those up in specific areas to where it makes the hunting throughout the property even better. Yeah, and we'll we'll get there when we talk about number eight. But one of the, one of the biggest questions or most commonly asked questions we get is how do I how do I know where deer are bedding in timber country or how do, they could bed here, they could bed there. Like, what do I do? And and these small design clear cuts and and placed in the right areas can really concentrate and encourage deer to bed on a consistent basis in the best cover. Of course, there's going to be, again, that kind of wave-like transition in this timber, but that great early succession is highly preferred when deer, uh, for, for bedding security, and placing that there, again, as we talk about number eight, we'll, we'll explain that more, but 
encouraging deer and having that designated area that is certainly safe and has the best cover they're going to prefer to bed there so you're concentrating where they're bedding just by doing these little clear cuts and and honestly one to two acre clear cuts that's a chainsaw and some friends and you can you can do that if you're if you're safe and know how to fell trees um you can do that in in certainly a day Mm-hmm. that's very very you know, easy to get done we talk all the time about deer are creatures of the edge and let's just eliminate those two red outlines. Where's the edge at in that area? There is none other than right, right next to that power line. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no edge. But by doing this clear cut, we've just created a major edge right there in the heart of a sanctuary where we want deer to bed anyway. And, and if we hadn't designated that area as, as sanctuary and, and the client was able to go in there and hunt, he'd be bumping deer kind of left and right. And mm-hmm. he wouldn't honestly know where they're betting. He wouldn't have the idea of, okay, that's most likely where they're betting up there at that clear cut. So he's walking to a stand. He could bump up a deer that's better at the base of his stand if he were to hunt that. Um, so not only is it is it just the preferred habitat, it's the security aspect of it that's really going to concentrate those deer in those areas and encourage them to bet. So take home point, this is benefiting the deer for giving more food and cover and more edge. And a more secure place to bed, but it's also benefiting the hunter because we're now trying to place the deer in bedding areas where we can move around and not bump them out. Yeah, absolutely. And again, that that's why you see there's two there's a road system on either side of that that bedding area. We can access go in and out um, with the east or west wind and not have to worry about bumping deer out of there. It's a great um, great area, and I think he's going to have a lot of success come from that timber unit as they transition more to the center of his property. Um, again, we'll talk about that in number eight, but we'll move on to number three. Number three is uh, <laughs> a lot of questions probably come up, and they look at this big field, and they say, and all you're doing is planting that one corner? They're like, come on, guys. Yeah. Come on. And I understand it, why, though. It, it's, it's, it's kind of one of those... Oh, I could just imagine that whole thing in food. Like, it I would just be awesome. What, can't you imagine that whole thing being standing soybeans during <laughs> yeah. November and you could step out there with a rifle? And But that's not – that. if you look, the property line bounces in, comes in right there in the basically the whole western half of that food plot. And that could be a problem. Mm-hmm. As we say a lot, you put a big deer in front of an honest man, you could, you could probably tempt him to be a poacher real quick. And right. that's kind of one of those areas where I wouldn't, we would not, especially with given a new landowner not really knowing the neighborhood, the first year we wouldn't dare um, drill and plant this whole thing in a food plot just to find out that that's a neighbor that likes to hunt along the fence line. That would not be a good, a good thing to do. Plus, that field is one of the fields just, well, all the fields are, but that field is just covered in native grasses and, and uh, wildflowers and it, that's one of those things where if you were to go and plant that field back to what it is now, it would be rather expensive because oh, it is expensive. so uh, diverse with native wildflowers and grasses. So that's one of those areas the first year we want to plant just that corner. And by doing that, we're basically limiting the amount of, I guess, area that the deer are going to be in. We're putting them in a secluded area that we can hunt effectively. Yeah. Um, and we can get in and out without jumping deer out of it, which is which is huge in a large field. And and you know, the way this this field lays is that that became definitely the 
the the place the preferred place to put a food plot because again it's it's certainly more on on this gentleman's property and based on the the sanctuary and clear cut just to the west you're encouraging deer to walk right there into the food plot and because this area used to have cattle on it there's fences that um encompass this large field so we can easily take down that fence or cut a gap in that fence um and allow those deer to funnel right through right where that red dot is um right through that area and and just keep them a very consistent pattern as they're moving through that area and that food plot again where the, the terrain lays you wouldn't be able to see it from the north or even on the east side of the property that road system it's designed and it's out of the out of the visual view of that road so if a hunter is driving past that or into that area in the morning or you know as they're going in the evening you're not going to be bumping deer out of that field they might hear you or see the light of from their utv or whatever but they're not going to be able to visually see that that um, buggy or whatever it is driving out of that road so you're not bumping deer as you're moving throughout the property i think another feature is again it's very tempting with such a large open area to not plan at all but we also have to remember you know let's say all that yellow is old field management. There's incredible amount of forage in that area with forbs during the warm season, um, the growing season. So, you know, that all is food. And then during the wintertime, with all this timber work that we're doing, there's going to be a lot of, of woody browse in the timber. So really at first, w- the food plots don't have to be likely huge and, and, and expansive, but... You know, as we transition and, and the herd builds in this area and deer densities increase, and that's we might key, need to that's expand. what you but when you bring that up, that's one thing to consider is you really need to pay attention to your herd density in mm-hmm. your area because oh, yeah. this is a place where there's tons of food and it if the landowner goes in and it's like, Man, I love seeing those deer and he lets that herd build up, then we would have to talk about planting more food plots or doing a lot more habitat work. Um and I think this is one thing I was thinking about beforehand is you look at that little food plot and, and you even you go south. and We you say see, little. It's probably about two acres. Yeah, well, honestly. you see that, that <laughs> yes. field with a little portion yeah. of a food plot. Uh, and then you go south of that and there's just a little half acre food plot in a big field. And you think, my goodness, they're wasting all that space. But if you're trying to provide all the food for your deer herd with food plots, there's something terribly wrong with your habitat management plan food plots are a supplement to the native browse that the property offers and i you know this is a great illustration of that we have the ability to expand a food plot but it's not at this point and based on the the browse and deer density that we saw while touring it it's not needed no it's, just, it's not needed so let's not you know create more work than what's needed let's you know, let's use what's there yeah and not have to pay to add a food plot buy seed uh, for that entire area yeah it, it's it's better on the landowner it's better for the habitat and i think as you're as you're concentrating the deer in the smaller food plot it's going to only increase your success of harvesting deer out of it and again down the road if he needs to expand it he has the ability to very easily mm-hmm. but that's, that's down the road that's down the road and to me i would i would argue that and say well let's let's look elsewhere let's look in the timber and see how much food there is let's mm-hmm. see because Let's just say you eliminate all that. Let's just let's just go in and say we're planting all the open areas in a food plot. Yep. What what do you tell the person that was concerned about the 
pollinators that are a huge part of our environment. Mm-hmm. What, what are you doing for them? You've completely destroyed their nah. habitat. So you, I would encourage everyone listening to think about every move they make, every project they do, how it affects a non-game species. Mm-hmm. And in this property, we can benefit a lot of species, not just the deer, but everything else. So um, that was a big part of why we left number three, that field in old field management. So, yeah. And when we say that, there's going to be a little bit of spraying, kill out the fescue that is there. There is still some, exactly, remaining fescue. But not much. No. It, again, the, the natives are doing a great job at at coming back and busting through um, that fescue. I don't know if it was overgrazed or just based on the the, um, the bush hogging that's been done over the past couple of years. Well, and it's it's kind of rough soil. It's it is a little rough, more it's pretty shallow. It, it's kind of set up for native yeah, it really species. Is. They the, thrive on those mm-hmm. shallow, sandy, rocky soils, and it's not really that great for the for the fescue. But right, um, and I think you touched on it, but I'm just want to clarify for Hail everybody listening. Point, whatever you that, say. This being old field management is we're providing forage during the summer months and relieving some of the stress on the food plot. So we can plant that in some sort of mix, but it's going to provide just as much forage as the food plot, the mm-hmm. old field management that is. So we're going to have basically number three, the whole field is a food plot during the growing season. And then as season gets here and those natives mature, now they're cover. And the food source is that little area down in the south, which is the food plot. Yes. And I, I don't know if they remember back, but uh, different podcasts ago, the warm season uh, mixtures, they're about five to 8,000 pounds of, of forage produced um, during the growing season uh, per acre. And that's about that's equivalent to a warm season food plot. So, again, just like Adam was saying, that whole field during the during the growing season is going to be providing forage that's very very high quality um so it might not look like a food plot but i guarantee you it is and right now there's currently no food plots on this property there's none so these are going to be created so right now the deer are making a living on these old field um native areas and they're doing quite fine there's a, there is a good number of deer and, and the, they found the shed a, they a found 82 a shed, inch shed 82 inch shed on this property so, so <laughs> this property's already great and and uh, hopefully that's just further evidence of what it, of what we're saying that you know deer do feed on this deer it might not look like that you know production Not just feed, but they make a plot. they make a really good living Darn feeding good living. on this. So, I think number three we've covered that. Let's yeah. jump down to number four. Ooh. I I'm a big fan of number four. And you might say, well, okay, I see a food plot, I see some sanctuary. Okay, that's a pond and a red dot and another sanctuary. As you're standing on the red dot right there by that pond. Um, just to the north and west of that pond, you see a little tiny opening. It's very, very small. You might have to zoom in there. But that's the pond dam, and it's and right now it's a little overgrown, but it takes a brush hog, a chainsaw, just to clear that dam out. And and you don't want you don't want trees growing on your dam no, anyway. Over time, they're going to cause a leak. So yeah. it's probably a good idea to get those trees off the dam. Treat the stumps. Um, but anyhow, that area based on the food plot based on the pinch of that wooded terrain and that that access um on that the pond dam and and now you're situated between two different sanctuaries uh, during the rut that's gonna be an incredible spot and you can get there 
in the morning or in the evening um, without alerting deer, and it's going to be phenomenal. And mm-hmm. it's just it's that natural pinch that deer are going to feel comfortable walking. And there's actually a couple it's, really large white oaks there too. To that me, I say you saw this is an acorns. early season spot. Yeah, this is I, when the I white oak acorns are falling. Yeah, it's hot. They're close to water. They're close to a bedding area. They're not happen to come out in the open. Um, a large sun. Open, yeah. And so, to me, this is this has got September fifteenth opening day all over it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's there's close proximity to to great forage, um, the water, and again. You're you're not far from a sanctuary, uh, which is incredibly um, important during the early season. It's it's warm. Deer don't necessarily want to move a lot during the daylight hours, so you've got to be close proximity. And now you're in actually in a transition area, so you're cutting down that path of travel from bedding to food. Um, you're getting there in the middle, and yeah, I think his chances are great early season. And, and during is, the rut, it's incredible. This is one of those spots where I don't hunt this place very much because right. you you look at it and you say, "Well, what wind do you hunt it on?" And we've talked about it, and it almost seems like a north a north kind of west wind would be ideal for it. Um, and that's north, very much a yeah. threading the needle type type uh, mm-hmm. stand. So we wouldn't be going in there to do some herd management, and shoot a bunch of does. Um, we would try and do that in other places. This is one of those spots where you have a camera up. And you've got a hit list buck in the area, and mm-hmm. you're like, okay, let's go in and get him. And that camera's right off that road system, too. And you can hop out of the buggy, boom, pull that card, get back in the buggy, and not disturb it, not leave a lot of scent right there. So it's got a lot of great features. Um, and I just see a lot of deer transitioning through there naturally. And again, if we hadn't put those sanctuaries there, we hadn't put that one area in food, I think deer still would. But because we're designating those as sanctuaries and having the clear cut in the food, we're only enhancing that natural travel travel pattern um, even more. And and it's just it's going to be a, a wonderful spot to hunt. Um, and it's it's not going to be just one year. It's going to be year in and year out. He's that's going to be kind of old faithful. And mm-hmm. if he treats it right and hunts it right, um, he's he definitely going to have success. He might even call that spot the tree. Oh, the tree the tree everybody's got to have the tree on their property yes. yes we have a the tree on the prairie hollow property um this could be the tree on the prairie property we just called it the prairie property that's not the actual name we just called it that because it's got a lot of native grasses and forbs and we and like the alliteration <laughs> and we like that yeah we like prairie sound so um number four gonna be an awesome spot oh yeah number five is one of those spots where you probably think we're crazy. I mean, it, they are. They know we're crazy, but this just kind of reinforces it. They know you're crazy. <laughs> oh come on! <laughs> number you're in five. That number five. If you were to drive around that property, you you might pull up, and we kind of did it the first time too. The first looks at yeah. You're like, whoa! What a beautiful bottom field. But after traveling across that field, we realized. This is better served as a old field management area, mm-hmm. and there, there's a lot of reasons for that. It would be where we don't like to spend. If we can hunt a ridge top versus a bottom field, you're going to have a lot more consistent wind here in the Ozarks yes. and yes. any mountainous country. 
in the on the ridge tops. The bottoms, you get a lot of swirly winds. So you really kind of have to figure out, okay, how are we going to hunt this in a bottom um, with the preferred wind using thermals to our advantage. And it's kind of one of those things where when you think about thermals, you got to think about the direction of the creek Certainly. and the direction of the valley and the predominant wind. There's a lot of things that go into that. And if you look at number five, you kind of see um, the big bottom field. When we drove out across that bottom field, it's very hilly, bumpy. It's rough ground. It's rough. Like, a lot and, of drainage, almost not, erosion. Not, like, not rough as in rocks, but rough right. as in uh, terrain changes, little dips and swales. And, and, yeah. and it would be a nightmare to try and plant every year, especially if we were going in with a... That would be one of the biggest mistakes you'd make on this property is go in with a plow or a disc and turn that bottom over. You have Um, sparks, buddy. That would be a nightmare Um, because there is a little bit of erosion. There's a little creek that runs through there, and it gets out in that field, Mm -hmm. and there's a spot where there's some erosion. There's about a two-foot drop in one of those areas. Two-foot drop, yes. And really thick vegetation. We almost put the buggy in it, (laughs) Yeah. but um, luckily we saw it beforehand, but I'm sure there's probably even more um, than what we saw, but... That's why we decided to lead this field um, kind of as is with a little bit of management, old field management, a little bit of herbicide to kill out some fescue that's in there and also some Johnson grass yep. that's in that field. Johnson grass isn't a bad problem on this place, but it is showing signs. And, of course, if left alone, it could take over. You want to nip it in the bud. So right now, if it's a, it's a five-foot or five-yard clump, let's just go ahead and spray it and take care of it. And keep your eye on it and make sure it doesn't come back in the future. But by doing that, we're going to allow native grasses to take back over those areas. Lots of native forbs. And it will be, of course, a feeding area during the summer. It'll be a great fawning area. Yeah. Um, In fact, we saw fawn not too far away from this area. But it'll be a great fawning area. Uh, Turkey poults, quail chicks, everything will love this area. And Food during the summer, bedding during the winter and fall. So yeah. think of this as a kind of a central hub for a bedding area uh, in that part of the farm. Uh, we do have a few sanctuaries close by that are smaller, but um, this will be a great bedding area as well. Yeah, I think especially in the late season, too, because they have the, the ability for thermal cover in those mm-hmm. grasses that are naturally coming up in there. Um, they'll be able to lay out there. Kind of sun will be able to come through, but the wind won't be able to. Exactly. It's gone down the bottom. Through. And, and you know, there's one thing, one feature that I do want to talk about it is that hunting blind. If you go from five, number five, and go that to the southwest there, that blind is sitting. Red dot with a yellow circle. Yes, it's sitting on a, on a kind of a little bit of a cliff. Um, and we encourage the, the, the landowner to cut some trees out around there. And that way he's going to be able to see up and down um, the bottom and right there in front of him, that food plot. Uh, he's going to be able to see that and shoot that during gun season. Hopefully, when deer are rutting, and because you can see further up the further up the bottom, close to number five, you do have um, sanctuary on both sides of that bottom, and he's going to be able to see that and access that with with a rifle. Shoot Maybe. that. His friends might. He'll he might be. Well, I guess he'd only have one. One he'd have a gun tag left. I was going to say he'd he's going to be tag. tagged out. Oh. By that. <laughs> <laughs> he's got to have a gun tag, but um, I, I think he's going to have incredible views. See a lot of deer from that area. Um, as he's overlooking the food source, which is another another sanctuary right there, plus the ability um, for thermal cover deer um, during the late season. 
it's going to be a great place to see deer, hunt deer, and, and, and the watch reason them that bottom that we planted, that food plot that you see just south of that redneck or that 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 blind that Matt was just talking about was uh, it's a lot flatter, um, much, and easier. it's I don't know two acres maybe, right? And it's it looks a lot a lot better of an area to plant a food plot, and it it's a lot more huntable um, than the big area. So. Yes. That will be a really cool area too. If if it was gun season and Lander said, "Hey, come on up, uh, I want you to go hunt with me on during gun season," I would hope that that's the area we're going. <laughs> if he, I don't even know if there's a place on here you could gar hole someone because it's so good. But if he didn't put you there, you know, you don't, you know how much of a good friend he is. You know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, that that Never. area is going to be awesome. Yeah, for sure. Number five, will, that whole area will be awesome. The whole farm will be awesome. But yeah. um, number five was one of those areas where can you probably scratch your head? Yeah, it, it did. We we kept we, honestly we drove and came at it from two different angles from the east at first, and then came back through um, from the west. And that's when we really, really made our decision to kind of get that full encompassing um, idea of how deer are going to work through there. It, we both just decided and kind of looked at each other. You know what? This this isn't plantable. It's it's not that huntable except from that really that one location um as enticing as it is to plan or hunt um you know it, it's probably best if we if we hunt deer in different areas and and you know allow them to bed right here and and kill them in transition and close to there we, we don't have this as a talking point but i will say number five you look just northwest of there there's another old field management kind of a backward c-shape that's mm-hmm. a glade um, yeah. A very rocky, rocky, shallow soil area that's got a lot of coneflower, purple prairie clover, rattlesnake um, master, rattlesnake master, grasses, um, Missouri primrose on it, and chinkapin oaks yeah. growing all over, which are a great indicator yeah. that it's a glade too. Um, so another really cool area on the property that's got tons of wildflowers and it'll be great forage during the summer and bedding um, during the winter. Um, so. That whole area is just a great kind of centrally located safe zone for the wildlife. Yeah. That's just an area that they can bed, feel safe. Um, that'll be really cool to, to see how it progresses over the years. No doubt. Uh, number six is a really cool piece. Um, you see a big power line running north, north, uh, west, and southeast through the property, and it kind of intersects right here at this large food plot. Um, one reason why this is the largest food plot, I believe it is the largest food plot on the yeah. property. It's the largest food plot because it is centrally located. It's not, it's, it's a good ways from the property line. It's flat um, ground. It's flat ground. <laughs> and it's just a, it's a nice, I guess, uh, destination plot for the middle of the, Correct. it's kind of every deer in that area should be kind of headed that way working in that direction inward to the property and that again is a big a big resource right there that and the reason why though they're going to bedding on the outside as they move to a larger food source destination area in the center of the property and that's why you see you see four two blinds and two stands uh, gotta have options yes because gotta have those what, options we so, drove okay up what wind can i ha- okay i can still go to this well, i can still go to this plot yeah. um basically there's all kinds of winds that you can hunt this plot on now. And well, and that's why it's key to get those new roads put in on the oh, southeast absolutely. part of that uh, so you can hunt it on different winds. Yes, yes. It's a what great you point. Ready to say I, I was, I was going to say, we drove up here and we kind of parked the buggy and we're like, 
right off the bat was like, this is going to be Grand Central Station. Deer are going to be crossing through here, moving through here like crazy on a daily basis, morning, afternoon, um, through the night. Great camera location, but incredible hunting locations and, and multiple right here in this area. And, and honestly, it's going to be great hunting um, early season and then late season as well as there's going to be some grain now, left in the field. Now, early season, we'll, we'll say why we think it'll be great. You look and there's a little food plot just to the northeast of the large food plot. And that, depending on what food source we plant, um, we recommend to plant in those food plots. We're kind of looking at that smaller northeast food plot to be something that's an early season attraction. Yes. Because if you look, you can see a clear cut just to the east of there, uh, old field management area just northeast of there, another sanctuary to the north, slightly northeast of it. And so it's really close to bedding. And there's so that small small bottom that goes through there, too, that's going to be cool in the in the early mm-hmm. season as well. A lot of moisture yes. keeps them cool in it's, the shade. It's an east-facing slope. Yeah. Yep. Um, so it's very cool. So deer don't have to go far to get to that food plot and that's that's the key for early season hunting is you want they're not going to be moving much during the last 30 minutes or hour of the day and so you want to be close to bedding that's a great food plot for that absolutely yes and there's water right there um a little small pond between that plot and the destination plot and adam i want you to talk about that screen that we put in um that's highlighted right there in the very north portion of that large destination so plot. you can see that we kind of cut out a part of the food plot that we didn't plant that that opening above that screen it's not planted it's not planted we're going to let the native grasses take back over that area and we're also going to plant a screen uh, just on the very north kind of northwest portion of that food plot um, to grow up tall and protect us because if you notice we come in from the northwest and the north to this food plot, and so there's a there's a chance of coming down the power line, that road, and cutting across to get to the other small food plot to the northeast of this field. If we're doing that, we need to be protected. And by doing by for protection, we're going to plant a screen, let the natives grow back up, and over time, there'll be a permanent screen here, and you can basically walk the whole north part of that food plot and if a deer is out in the center or a whole herd of deer is out in the center they're not going to see you and that's why it's important to know when to basically stop the food plot and focus on a screen plan a screen and encourage a tall vegetation to grow there so you can get access 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 and and um <laughs> that's why access again as we we started this podcast with it is is incredibly important that area because of the 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 food plots that are going to be laid out there the proximity to bedding area the water source it's automatically going to be really really good but if you're if you're hunting it and not thinking and keeping in consideration your access and you're bumping deer on a consistent basis when you try to hunt it it's not going to hunt nearly as good anymore. You're going to ruin it before it gets to its prime. This um, is this is because one of, those, of not considering access. The importance of stopping the food plot, screening, letting other natives grow up, is our basically that's what we would recommend. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you would think, okay, well, I'll just have my wife come pick me up, shine the lights on the field, and run the deer out, and I'll 
I'll just climb out then. But if you do that over time, you're just pressuring the deer. And you're pressuring the deer, which is going to cause them to be more nocturnal. There's going to be less deer on the field. If you do that several nights in a row, there's going to be less deer coming to that food plot before dark. Yeah, they might and not this, smell and that's you. That's kind of a to me. That's a band aid. That's just like yeah. I, I I can't I can't get in and out. So I'm just going to do that, and that's just going to fix it. But it's not. It's just just kind of trying to help you. But stopping planting the screens, letting the natives grow up. That's a permanent fix to say, okay, this is going to be a good spot years mm-hmm. to come, and I can hunt this effectively by myself. Right. And you know, you're talking about the driving in and everything. You know, they might not associate that that car with uh, human odor and, and, you know, hunters, this is unsafe, but they're still spooked out of the field. Like, mm-hmm. they're still alarmed, so you're still spooking them. Like, it, it's, it's, it's not as bad as getting down out of your blind and spooking them from that exact location, but they're still spooked. They might, you know, each night come back. 10 minutes later and 10 minutes later and before you know it they're not coming out during during daylight hours um because of that consistent um fear of that car those car headlights kind of bumping deer so you know just c- keep that in mind and if there's a way for you to plant something and get out of there and have the wind right and you just kind of walk out of your stand um not bumping and alerting those deer in the big destination food plot win-win mm-hmm. so incredible area you want to talk about number eight that, no what You're else skipping. you got? Now, Matt. Oh, seven. The way I count <laughs> is goes five, six, seven, eight, not five, six, well, eight, seven. I'm nine. thinking linear here. Six. Okay, whatever. Seven. So we're on seven, and we just kind of touched on access and and driving to and from, and and the preferred way or our preferred way of of food plots and hunting, and and not driving up and jumping deer out with the truck. And if you look at number seven. This is a great example of a road going through an air open area and then going on down to a, another area. And the other area is number seven. But you look and there's a old field management area to the north mm-hmm. of seven. And you could have we could have very easily said, yeah, let's plant that one and plant and then plant the next one that we actually say plant. And so there's two food plots back to back basically with a road going right in between. And this is one thing that we recommend not doing or creating road systems away, not like this. Because if we were to plant, let's just say just north of number seven, if we were to plant that area in a food plot and also plant the number seven, basically, and we were to leave, let's just say we parked the buggy in between just north of, or just south of number nine on that road, and we walked through that field to get to number seven, and it was a food plot. And we climbed down out of our sand at dark and walked through the other food plot. We'd just be running deer out of the neighborhood or running them all out of that food plot and alerting them. So we're not going to plant that area. But then we're going to take it another step further, and we're going to say we need a trail from the eastern border through the woods to get to number seven food plot. Mm-hmm. And even though it may be tougher, it may take more work, more walking, more walking, it will lead to more success hunting that area. Absolutely. Will. And a lot of times it, it's going to take some work to really step your game up. That was, what do they say? Devil's in the details. Oh, it is. And that's, that's a detail right there where, it sure would. It sure would be easy to just 
walk along, park the buggy uh, down by the big food plot in the power line and walk up and cross the food plot to hunt that eastern side of the food plot and set there. But if we have that one set up for a west wind or a southwest wind, the uh, tree stand on the eastern half of food plot 7, if we were to park down by that other food plot and walk up, we've blown our scent over the entire Oldfield Management and Sanctuary just southeast of Food Plot 7. Mm-hmm. So we're not going to do that. We're going to drive from the house down through the pinch by number 9, park up there around the property line, walk down that road, go up the access trail, and have the wind in our face the entire time. That's how we're going to hunt it. Now, you look at the other stand on the western half of that food plot. By how are we going to hunt that? By the pond. How are we going to hunt that? Well, our... Entry comes in along the road, down the power line, and now we're going to hoof it right up to to the northeast to the pond. So we're going to hunt that on northeast wind or a north wind Mm -hmm. and keep the wind in our face the whole time. And again, this is another reason why doing the habitat work and and making those clear cuts really, really important and staying out of some areas and, and allowing them to be sanctuaries, you can have an access trail through the timber. You're not really fearing alerting deer as you're getting to your your stand because you're concentrating that bedding in those areas and um that access and thinking outside the box and thinking taking a little bit longer route around or or you know thinking ahead and clearing your own trail walking trail to those stands is really going to be critical and a game changer to be able to hunt this food plot um multiple times throughout the year and and not really alerting deer because you just imagine you get you walk right back out and you're not alerting anything the same way you came in and your wind is still in your favor. Like think about that eastern tree stand on number seven is if we were to park down by the big food plot in the power line, number six, and walked up there and hunted that on a southwest wind and let's say deer did come from the northwest down in the food plot and they're standing in the food plot and it's dark and you've got a you've got the wife ringing the bell up at the house saying dinner's ready <laughs> and you have to get out of there. <clears throat> Excuse me. You can't walk across that food plot. No. You shouldn't anyway. And But that's the only way to go. So you're either going to climb down and walk through the woods in the dark through a sanctuary. Or you're going to sit there until the deer leave the field. And that, so, and then that, your wife's going to be mad at you for not yeah. getting back in time. <laughs> so you might as well just stay out there. Right. So that's why it's important to go the extra mile, find access trails, make access trails through the timber. You may have to walk, but it's certainly going to pay off for you in the long run. Yeah, absolutely. And then you have you have two pretty much a stands right now in place. And not, not every stand is marked on this map that we think would be a great location to hunt. But right now, currently, there's two stands right there to be able to hunt deer that are either feeding the plot or transitioning into the plot. Right there, the proximity to the pond, another great early season spot um, that you're able to get in and get out of. And, you know, just having the variety, again, thinking outside the box, not taking the, the path that's the easiest um, is going to be incredibly beneficial to you in, in the long run um in each season as you you try and hunt that plot that's good and one thing we haven't mentioned is is there's actually a, a um i'm gonna say wildfire because it was unplanned someone dropped the match or whatever years ago in this area it and, was planned <laughs> i promise you it was, it was planned 
planned uh, maybe not by degree. the landowner. Yeah, maybe not by the landowner. Anyhow, a really intense fire went through this area, um, and I did kill some trees. But the amount of vegetation that's growing in there top right now—top killed the trees. Top killed the trees. Right there's stump sprouts, but. It's lots so thick of, in there. Lots like, of it's stems per thick. Yeah. Uh, um, it's thick as the hair on a dog's back. Yeah. Um, which would need to be addressed in the future, but right now it's serving as a as a sanctuary. Great sanctuary. Um, just because nothing goes, no no humans are going in there. You can't even look in there. Yeah. So that's that's why number seven it will be a cool place for the landowner to hunt. Yeah. Let's jump down to eight. Or, Matt, do you want to skip Let's eight go, to, go 10. to nine? No, yeah, let's go let's to ten. Let's go to ten. Let's just go in order. <laughs> Yeah, so number eight is kind of, we talked about it very early on, um, is a clover plot that sets up basically to the east of a nice sanctuary, a nice clear cut, mm-hmm. and it's kind of a natural travel corridor. You're going to, now you can't see it on this map, but it's kind of a little sway, a little mm-hmm. bit of a low spot, kind of a saddle. I wouldn't necessarily say it's a real deep saddle, but it's no. a slight sway. To enough where, to encourage them yes, to walk through there. Enough to encourage the deer to go through there. And it's kind of set up to where if there's a preferred food source and it's close to a water hole and it's kind of that water hole kind of serves as a bottleneck. Mm-hmm. And this is just a great area for... Yeah, and we didn't put a tree stand on under a blind because it's kind of dependent on the trees there. But um, to set a some sort of blind or tree stand on the north end of that, yep, on a south wind, you could probably even do it on a southwest wind, Certainly. southeast wind, um, anything south. You can hunt that spot on the north end and catch deer as they travel from the western bedding area um, sanctuary and travel east or even slightly southeast down into the the uh, large feeding field. And and if you look there in that sanctuary, you can kind of see those two lines, one coming from the northwest, one coming from the southwest. Those are bottoms, and they they trickle down to basically right there at the beginning of that clover plot. And, again, that's the transitionary, the, the way that deer are naturally going to work and funnel into that space into that food plot so if you, uh, if a deer is bedding over there in that clear cut by number two and it's looking for the path of least resistance to get to safest way to walk the food plot the large feeding field during the hunting uh during the hunting season that's the they're going to walk straight east which leads them right up towards that right to clover field. it's like a gauntlet is what yeah. it is and and it's the perfect transition area as well because you have the large destination food plot further to the east and those deer are going to take that that easy path through the bottom cross that opening and work the way maybe get a drink and move on down to the larger feeding area and that's a great evening spot and and most likely a morning spot as well because you can get into it and deer aren't coming there to hang out they're just they're moving through. through right and and they're likely going to be at the large feeding area or just making their way back at first light. So you're already in your stand, and then you're just going to see some deer bump, feeding across, bumping across that little opening. Um, and you, you've got a great attraction there. Clover is a great um, food source, and they're, they're going to hit it <laughs> very, very easily. It, to me, it's like a, it's just a it's a perfect line, linear line from clear cut to the bend area. Why wouldn't you have a great little attraction there? And encourage deer just to move there just a little bit more. And that's a great place to put out mineral during the entire season. Yeah. Um, 
just to encourage them to move through there a little bit more. Man, can you clear your throat a little bit? Man, no, I'm, <clears throat> I'm trying here. Maybe it was all the pollen around that area that got to be. me. But number nine be. is a great example of a uh, – it doesn't take a food plot to make a great hunting area. Oh, you transition quick. Nine. Let's go to nine. I'll oh. let you cover that. I love number nine. Adam and I talked about that, and really, the, this area <clears throat> is a very small pinch in the property. You can see there is a public road to the north and west, and then the property line is just south and east of um, that road system. And the neighbor has got a tall five-strand um, barbed wire fence bordering his property. So, just the way that road, that property line is with the fence, deer are naturally going to be pinched down there, and if you look, you've got bedding areas and sanctuaries um, both on your, your southwest side and northeast side of where that stand is right there at number nine. Um, so because of that pinch, because of that road system, um, you're going to have a lot of deer just naturally work through there. And even that that patch of old field management, which is just kind of an overgrown field right now, um, it's going to push them a little bit further south. So you're going to be pinched between that old field management area, the border, the corner of that property, and they're going to use that area to transition, scent checking those bedding areas, moving throughout the property uh, right there at number nine. So again, like Adam said, there's not a food plot there to attract deer to that location. It's just naturally good. And year in, year out, I guarantee that that road and that area is going to be full of scrapes, um, deer communicating back and forth, who's receptive, who's not. And, you know, it's going to be a great place to hunt, easy to access. But it's one of those things you need to kind of keep in mind as you're, you're traveling through there. Um, you know, put a camera up there on that road system. Really easy to check. Run up there, check it um, from the buggy, back out of there, and go, go check it right back there at the house. And that's not far from the house at all. So if you're one of those people who likes to sleep in, that's a great stand for you to go to. Um, and I think it's going to have... Uh, a lot of success during the rut um and and those that area again just because of the the way terrain is the way that uh, outside features like a road system a hardtop road a public road and then the neighbor's boundary line and fence it's just going to work to your favor even though it's a it's a pinch in your property you'd rather not have that small little condensed area it's going to help you out in the long run for sure Number that, 10. Yes, number 10. Number 10 kind of covers that whole northeast part of the farm. Um, that's kind of the, uh, that's kind of the, uh, I, I guess, the complex right there, the H, <laughs> HQ. Yeah, uh, That's where that, that house is. But um, sometimes, you know, I think of the, I remember during Turkey I saw somebody talking about the camp bird. Um Camp bird? What's that? The camp bird. So when you're at camp, there's always a, or not always, but some some farms you go to, there's the camp bird. There's the turkey that the gobbles. Mascot? Oh. The turkey that <laughs> gobbles next to camp. Yeah. But nobody wants to hunt him because they're like, I want to see the property. I want to go out on the main property yeah, and yeah. hunt him. And But he's always there. And so you're like, hmm. And you call to him from camp just to make him gobble. Just to and hear so that. You, he's heard all your calls. Right. And he's heard you guys bang around and party and and yell and hoot and holler and but he's always there gobbling the camp bird. Well, this would be a, a camp buck um, yeah. up in this area. There's a couple food plots, three food plots. 
um, that will be set up great for, you know, you've just got to the farm to hunt and you're running out of time mm-hmm. and you just want to go jump in a stand. And all of a sudden, your number one hit lister steps out, and you're like, oh, my, what's he doing up here? Yeah. Well, oh, what yeah. he's doing up there is he's getting away from all the activity because you haven't hunted up there at all that year. And mm-hmm. and uh, that's just a good place for him to be. And there's a clear cut just west of the of the HQ. And uh, it's a great bedding area. It's a, already a great sanctuary because even though you spend a lot of time around that house, they're not feeling pressured because no. you're just there at the house doing your own thing. And you're, you're not, not entering those woods ever. Yeah. It's a great little place for them just to tuck and feel safe. And that's kind of a little bit of a low-lying area in there. Um, so I think it's a potential for a great early season. But a lot of that is devoted to old field management. Um, so why is that, Adam? Old field management. Again, that's another huge area that we could open up and put more food plots. But We could. But the problem is that's that's your HQ. That's yep. where you're going to spend a lot of time. And there's a highway that can kind of sets up high. You'll see the screens up there on the north side. Right. It sets up high. You can look out across that field right now. Certainly. Because it is mostly fescue. Mm-hmm. Um, once we get that fescue sprayed out, there's a lot of natives coming up through that fescue, which tells us once we get it killed, there's probably going to be a great, there's going to be a lot of stuff come back. Mm-hmm. Um, a, a lot of beneficial natives. But... Uh, if we were to plant that whole western half from the main road in, that would just be a, a poacher's dream oh, yeah. to drive down and, and see this big, lush soybean field with some velvet bucks or mm-hmm. uh, bucks out in it during, during late season. So we're not even going to attempt them. We're just going to leave that in old field management, let it grow up tall, screen it with probably some pine trees or something along um, the highway. Per- a really good permanent Yes, um, a permanent screen, screen there. And uh, not let them put their eyeballs through that field and uh, tempt them with a <laughs> attempt a poacher to shoot a, your hit lister as you're yeah. standing out there. So yeah. that's why we're leaving it old field management. Plus, it's going to provide great forage during the uh, during the summer months when poachers really aren't going to be a problem. Hopefully, um, they don't have much headgear at that time, and so you're providing great forage. But then it's it's covered during the uh, during the fall and mainly the hunting season. so and, and really, you know, that scale, we always put a scale on, on the maps because it really helps to, to show uh, dimension to the property. And really, you're never in that area from HQ there. You're never really more than two, 300 yards away from the property line. So that's, you know, if, if I was the landowner, yeah. I would, this is kind of automatically you think, yeah, that's the gar hole spot. Like, that's where your buddy comes yeah. in to hunt you, and you're like, yeah, you can go down there and hunt that food plot. But I wouldn't do that <laughs> it's a, it's on this It's a short property. walk. Yeah. It's a short walk. You don't have to go Go on down there. Yeah. that I would not do that on this property, because I yeah. have a hunch that this is the spot <laughs> to where a mature buck would hang out. It's I, close I to it. the highway. Yep. Which sometimes is a great place to where you find bucks you, hanging out. You think that they're there's not, not a lot there, of activity. There's a lot of activity on that yep. paved road, but outside of that, there's not much. Mm-hmm. So this is a spot where um, I would definitely not overlook. I would sure. I would be curious to see what Hitlisser, uh moves into that area and is uh, seen moving during daylight hours in one of those food plots. Mm-hmm. And and honestly, this you, this area around the house was. Um, was hayed quite a bit and actually had a really good stand of uh, fescue in it. Um, so 
that will be pretty pretty important to spray out. Spray this um, November, yeah. February, March of next year when it's the only green thing growing out there, and you can spray it while all the natives are dormant and get those killed out, and then maybe run a prescribed fire through there. But yep, um, that's a really cool area right there, even yeah. though it is right next to the house. That's one thing we haven't talked that much about is prescribed fire in their place. Yes, there will be prescribed fire. Yes, that's why a lot of the road systems are there, too, for fire breaks. Um, so imagine all this timber work and enhancement and everything with prescribed fire, too. Um, so overall, there's really not a portion of the property that is um, untouched or unmanaged. It's going to be 300. That's how we like it. 95 acres of dynamite. No man, no man left behind. There's no acre left behind. Yeah, we managed that's our all of joke. it. And uh, it should be a great place to... Uh, a great place for the landowner to enjoy with his family and guests and have some great deer on it. So that kind of wraps Woo. up the prairie property, but I, I hope How that long this was, that? Well, that was a good, that's a good hour right there. Oh, wow. And, and some change. But, hmm. um, you know, I hope that gives a, a really good understanding of, of kind of some thought processes that, that we go through as we see a property and why this feature's here, why this feature um, is not here. Um, you know, management is not always changing some things it's all it's it can be enhancing some things and understanding what what the current habitat does and supports and then maybe going to another area enhancing those um so like the old field management there's great natives there already so we're not going to change them we're just going to enhance it and move to other areas and and do more work there um so really take an understanding of what the current habitat does and how it can maybe better things down the road and, and some alterations that can be done. This is a property to really highlight um, that style of, of management. And that's why I love it so much because every property is so different. It's so dynamic. It's so unique. Um, but those are a lot of the top 10 key features to um, this 395 acres, uh, the prairie property. So, again, hopefully that was very beneficial um, and if you have any questions, again, this is going to be posted um, July 7th. If you have any questions, uh, just comment there on that Facebook um, the Facebook post, and, and we'll get back to you or, or send them directly through our website, landlegacy.tv. Adam, you got anything else here? Nope. I'm just planning out the next podcast right now. Well, that's what you saw me doing. Um, no, I'm going on vacation, man. This is going to be uh, – that was a great podcast, and I'll – and uh, I'm, I'm out of here. I'm going on vacation for the summer. Peace out, Girl Scout. Uh, no, I think it was a great, uh, and that's why they, that's why I said they think you're crazy. Uh, I am crazy. Uh, I think this I'll will admit. be a really cool property. I, I would love to own this property. It oh, would be yeah. a uh, uh, an awesome place to take the family and friends and guests to to hunt. Not only deer, but turkey and probably quail down the road. I, I, think, I think the turkey population in this place is going to be nutso. Yeah, I would love to hunt it. Um, it would be really, really cool to see what happens yeah. um, once the plan's implemented. Um, no, I think uh, you encourage everybody to go to Facebook and share it. Let people it. know how to manage property. But also, uh, if you're listening on iTunes, please go give us a review. Give us a couple stars. Hopefully, you give us five stars. And Preferably. leave us a review. That's what helps keep this thing going. And uh, there's been a lot of great comments on there so far, but yeah. I, I encourage you to go um, leave one for yourself. And uh, who knows? Maybe we'll get a wild hair and send you a hat. Ooh. Um, maybe maybe Matt will let you come hunt his farm. 
going to have to do more than leave a comment to do that. <laughs> Maybe they're going to have to leave a comment and and have ten friends leave comments, and yeah. then, then you can come hunt Matt's farm. Then I'll think about it. <laughs> um, no, uh, that, that was that was a lot of fun talking about that. I love talking about properties. Uh, to me, it's you never give up on a property, no matter what it mm-hmm. is. There's always something you can do to improve it. Um, there's always something you can do to uh, make it better and and make it more huntable. And this property, uh, man, it'd be a lot of fun to see this property during the fall. But anyway, I think that wraps up this week. Thanks for listening to the Land and Legacy Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. See ya. Thanks for listening to another episode of Land and Legacy's Hunting and Habitat Management Podcast. If you want to see more, check us out at landlegacy.tv or follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Take pride in knowing that God has called us in Genesis 2-4 to work and take care of the land. So keeping that in mind, remember to do it all for the love of the land and the glory to God.